Asia Pacific currents. News and labor issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning, and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the twenty fourth of March. You're listening to Community Radio Three CR. I'm Giselle Hanna, and I'm Pierre Morrow, and it's a beautiful, cloudy day out there, Giselle. Oh, and, that、uh, sounds like weather, no, according to a, Pierre's no, personal feelings. No, it's not a weather report. That was just a、uh, statement. Statement. <laughs> statement of fact. <laughs> very、That's、good. Right, and、uh, thanks to Annie for another very interesting program of Solidarity Breakfast. And of course, the music that we we're listening—one of my favourite artists, there, Tracy Chapman. So well done, and in choosing that one, and she was singing "Give Me One Reason," and、uh, probably it's、uh, you know, give me one reason to fight back. Really, I think we can give lots of reasons, can't we, Giselle? Absolutely. I was going to say only one. You need only one. Well, that's true. I only need one, but、um, there are millions of reasons to fight back. Yeah, and of course, who brings you this program every week? That's、Giselle? right. The show is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. If you want. To get in touch with us, you can find us on the web or the w's dot a a w l dot org dot a u. We're on Facebook and Twitter as well, so you can find us on those social media platforms. Some of you will have noticed that we haven't sent out a mini news in a couple of weeks. We Are having some server and technical problems, so upgrade,、um, <laughs> upgrade issues, <laughs> something like that.、Uh, it's probably unlikely that that'll get resolved this week,、um, but stay. Keep, it'll come out in the next couple、back. of weeks. That's、back. right. In that. the meantime, check us out on Facebook because that's where we'll post、um, the mini news, so that you can still follow the stories from around the region. Fantastic! And on today's program, we will have our usual labour roundup from the region, but we also got a, a live guest on the show here next、uh, to as us, as opposed to the dead guests that we normally have on the show. Is that what you mean, Pierre? That's exactly right. And、um, we're joined by、uh, Umesh Perinpanayangam from、uh, who works with the、uh, with the Tamil Refugee Council. So, good morning, Umesh.、Uh, good morning, Pierre. Thank you very much, and、um, we'll、uh, shut him off for the present moment. Um, yeah. He's had his、uh, two、he、seconds embrace, of fame. Embrace censorship here on Asia Pacific Currents. <laughs> But look, turn、we'll, the mics off, the guests. Look, we'll go straight to the um、uh, the lab, the updates of labour news. So the first one will go to West Papua, where we've brought you a number of reports about the Freeport Grasberg mine in West Papua. It's a huge copper,、uh, copper, gold, and silver. I think it it, it mines almost anything. It's at over four thousand. Meters in altitude. The workers、um, have gone on strike many times, including was it two eleven? There was a massive strike then. That's right. It was so big. I mean, I don't have the proportions of that mine, but the workers and I am still struggling to believe if this is the case that the workers together, arm in arm, circled the entire mine、um, as a part. I, yeah, it just sounds well, extraordinary. Well, there were somewhere、it? between eleven to fourteen thousand that. 
uh, that went on strike. So that's, that's right. a fairly big circle. Yes, it is. <laughs> but also that is the um, the dispute where nine workers were murdered because the TNI, the Indonesian military, opened fire on that um, picket. That's right. And um, so the latest strike um, occurred in May 2017 and um, it involved, again, thousands of, of workers and over 4,000 workers were, um, were fired uh, from the company this, this time. Now, the um, what has happened now? We've just had news that the um, the the leadership of the of the union there um, has reached an agreement to um, with the, with the company. Where unfortunately, though, it seems that the agreement says that the um, the workers were not sacked, but they resigned, and so there is no uh, compulsion of the on the company to reinstate them. The um, the um, but it does say that um, the workers will have some access to financial benefits and to health um, services because sixteen strikers uh, between May two thousand and seventeen and February two thousand eighteen were reportedly uh, reportedly died because they couldn't access the medical services of the mine and of course this mine is at four thousand meters up in the in, I mean, mountains, there's actually nothing else there apart from this mine. So, um, and so this agreement basically says only 300 workers will be reinstated. Now, um, there are, um, it would seem from the reports that the, um, the, um, the, the union, they're basically uh, agreed because the military was also involved. Um, so you could say they were forced to agree, and but there are human rights um, organisation in um, in Indonesia that are saying that uh, this agreement should be rejected, and also the um, Industrial General Global Union says that um, this is actually a terrible agreement and that all these um, um, workers should be reinstated. So it, it's certainly a um, a live issue still, and um, and again it really shows. You know, if these workers, if if we're organised better internationally and globally, um, we could really support these workers. And a little bit closer to home, a tragic story. A young man who was trapped for hours after a six-metre trench collapsed on him at a Ballarat construction site has died in hospital. Jake Brownlee was 20 He's the second person to die after Wednesday's trench collapse. His colleague, who was also in the trench at the time, died at the scene. So uh, that uh, his comrade died immediately. Jack was flown to the Royal Melbourne Hospital with serious injuries where he was placed in an induced coma and under, underwent four emergency surgeries. The incident happened at the Winterfield Estate on the Glenelg Highway at about 11am on Wednesday. Mr Brownlee's uh, comrade was aged in his 30s but is yet to be identified. On um, yesterday, so on Friday, Trades Hall held a vigil um, at the Memorial Stone on the corner of Ligon Street and Victoria Street to acknowledge that while we mourn the dead, we will continue to fight as hell for the living. And of course, a reminder that International Workers Memorial Day, where that exact slogan is raised, is on the 28th of April. In Australia, 
sorry, in Victoria, WorkSafe has said um, that these two fatalities has brought the total deaths in Victorian workplaces to seven for 2018. That's one more than this time in 2017. And of course, it's a timely reminder that the only reason that there have been only seven deaths in workplaces in a, in Victoria to date is because of unions and because of our fighting for the right to health and safety at work. Seven deaths is way too many, but there will be many, many more deaths if we let the union movement slip away. That's right, um, and uh, our, our condolences to the family of those two workers. We now go to China where um, a 1,000 um, uh, workers to the southern province of Guangdong, where a 1,000 workers, nearly 70% of whom um, are women, uh, work in a luxury handbag factory in Guangzhou, won social ins- insurance and housing provident fund contribution after a nine-day strike. They had called on the management to engage in collective bargaining in early March, and ever since then uh, there were numerous attempts to disrupt their organising by the company. But uh, fortunately the, the workers held their ground and they want their demands. So um, power to those workers. So some cracks in the prime ministerial ship of Shinzo Abe, uh, Japan's prime minister that at the moment has quite considerable public support despite uh, his support of nuclear power. Um, Hundreds of people gathered this week in front of the prime minister's office to protest Shinzo Abe's involvement in the falsification and alteration of official documents. So this is a corruption scandal that involves the um, purchase and sale of land. Um, The documents relate to the acquisition of land by Moritomo Gukuen, a close political friend of PM Abe. Um, And the acquisition occurred in Osaka and the acquisition of that land was for a tenth of the market rate for the construction of an educational institution. For the time being, while the finance minister, Taro Aso, is under extreme pressure to resign due to his department's direct involvement in the sale of this land, there's also mounting pressure on Prime Minister Shinzo Abe to resign. And the interesting thing of that story is it's been uh, going for like two and a half years and it's just sort of getting worse and worse as it uh, the new evidence gets uncovered. Well, I feel a uh, um, Park Geun-hee situation coming on. We'll see um, how the people of Japan react and the workers of Japan react, of course. Um, there is not a similar tradition of trade union organising in Japan, so... It'll be interesting um, to watch. But the thing that that is also interesting was that uh, um, about 18 months ago, the Prime Minister actually responded very directly to a, a question about this uh, scandal. And he actually said, there, are, there is no evidence, there is no basis for these allegations. You show me the evidence and I will resign immediately. I bet that clip <laughs> is going to be played over and over on Japanese that, news. That's right. Um, we stay in um, Japan where in another scandal, a 24-year-old Vietnamese technical intern who came to Japan in 2015 to work as an intern and to learn construction and civil engineering skills has revealed how he had to escape his workplace 
always in fear of his life. Um, it seems that um, the intern, um, contrary to his knowledge or understanding, was made to work as a nuclear decontamina decontamination worker in Koryama City in Fukushima Prefecture, um, even though he had no skills in that area. And that's obviously where the Fukushima nuclear reactor is. Um, this, uh, this man, who we can't name for obvious reason, felt that he was a prisoner to his employer as he had paid uh, $13,000 US dollars to a dispatching labour company in Vietnam to come to work in Japan. The, Zeno, the Zenotsu Workers' Union is calling on the government to scrap the current technical internship system that basically enslaves interns. And uh, the owner and a manager of a chemical factory fire have been arrested. The police arrested four people in connection with a fire at Romdio Chemical Factory in the Boisa Tarapur Industrial Estate in Mumbai last week. Of course, sorry listeners, this story does come from India. Four people died and 13 were injured in that particular chemical factory fire. It's been reported that the accused had not taken proper steps for the safety of workers and did not train them properly. Thus, the workers were unaware of the dangers of mixing the chemicals that they were working with. This then produced an explosion that led to the fatal fire. Quite a few industrial accidents on... Um, the show this week I wanted to these uh, when I was in Mumbai I saw some of these chemical factories they're absolutely tiny they're virtually unregulated um, those workers have virtually zero protection so the fact that um, four people have been arrested in connection with that fire and they all seem to be at the owner and managerial level is quite significant it'll be interesting to see what the undercurrents of that are that's right and also how it plays out in the court system of India which is not the fastest in the world that's right um, as our last story we now go to um, to Syria where as the civil war in Syria has now entered its eighth year, the situation for working class community remains catastrophic. In the besieged central region of East Ghouta, civilian casualties continue to mount under the relentless Russian bombardment and the Syrian army offensive. In the north of the country, in the canton of Efren, Turkey's military offensive is creating a new humanitarian crisis for the people living there. And obviously now Turkey has um, occupied that whole um, canton. And uh, from later reports, hundreds of thousands of people f uh, had to flee. In the seven years of war in Syria, a total of 16 different imperialist and regional powers have intervened to launch airstrikes on various parts of Syria. I think what all this shows that more than ever, working class communities in Syria need international solidarity and pressure uh, to stop the carnage in Syria. So that's all, um, Giselle, for the uh, news roundup for this week. It's uh, just on quarter past nine o'clock. We'll go to a community announcement and then um, we'll come back with our live guest. He's still living in the, in the studio. I'll take a pulse in a minute. I think he's still alive. <laughs> I often feel the only thing standing between us falling off that precipice and actually fighting our way back up the top of the hill is the trade union movement. I really believe that. We have the numbers, we have the commitment, we have the heart, we have the will to really fight. And the only way we're going to win that fight is to grow the union movement. That was Jed Carney talking up union. Stay tuned to 3CR for more union news.
855 on your AM dial or 3cr.org.au. on 16 past 9 o'clock here on Asia Pacific Currents, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Workling on your favourite community radio station. We're very lucky to have Umish Perin Pananyagam from the Tamil Refugee Council here in the studio. Good morning, Umesh. How are you? Good morning. That's great. Thanks for for coming in. And uh, we're going to be talking about refugee issues in general, but also a few particulars here today. Um, Look, there's, I mean, really, the the whole refugee area in Australia over the last 20 years, it is actually a litany of scandals and, and disasters for people. So I just want to start on one current one, and there's lots others. Over the last few weeks, um, the family of Nathas and Priya in Queensland have really been in the in the um, in the media, yes. and were facing deportation, and um, and they were actually taken from their house. I think at mm. dawn. Can you give us a bit of a background and where we were, where they're at now? Okay. So uh, uh, Priya and Nades, uh came to Australia by boat uh, on the separate boats, two thousand and twelve and thirteen. Uh, then they met here, they got married, they've had two uh, children, uh, and uh, Nades was working at a f- uh, meat uh, works in Biloela, a small regional uh, community in Queensland. Uh, and then at 5am on the 5th of March, uh, got a knock on the door, about 20 uh, security personnel, Australian Border Force, Circo Guards, police came, gave them 10 minutes and put them in two separate vans and drove them to the, uh, I think it was Gladstone Airport, then they were flown to Melbourne. They were held in the Mitre Detention Centre. Uh, then uh, a few days later, I think they were taken to Perth and they were about to be uh, deported back to the government of Sri Lanka, but then a last-minute intervention um, prevent, got, them, got them pulled off the uh, plane. So are they still in detention in Perth? Uh They've subsequently been brought back, and I believe they're in the Melbourne Immigration Transit Authority place. Uh, in Broadmeadows? Broadmeadows, yes. Um, now, I'm assuming that both Nades and Priya were on temporary protection visa or some uh, something to that effect? So I think they would have been on bridging visas. So my understanding is under Australian law, if you come by boat, you have to be put in detention, and technically maybe you have to be sent to... Uh, offshore processing but I think most people are released on bridging visas and on bridging visas they can work while they're going through the um, process to apply for refugee protection. But it's a very very um, temporary and very insecure type of of, of visa. So mm. just taking the Nades and Priya ex- example, you've said that back in Broad Meadows, obviously they're being supported by the wider community Yeah. Um like what has actually happened to their kids, by the way? Yeah, so there's there's been an amazing response from the community of Biloela, and uh, over ninety thousand people have signed this petition uh, online. Um, the children, are, uh, I believe, are there with uh, with their parents, uh, and they're somewhat disoriented. Uh, mm. I think well, one report said the daughter was asking to go to the friend's house in Queensland. Um, Obviously, yeah. yeah. So. 
And um, so where are, we, where are they at now? Because obviously, like, if the raid happened early in the morning, they mustn't have been expecting it. Um, mm. Do we have any idea right. what the what the process is, or is that all ministerial uh, right. ministerial uh, uh, decisions? Uh, so my understanding uh, from reports is that one of them had uh, legal avenues left to appeal um, and was waiting for a uh, extension of a bridging visa, and she'd been told maybe that this bridging visa was coming, but then it didn't. Um, and then technically, I think they can be. Um, put in detention if they don't have a visa um but they've still got some appeal um whether or not they'll be successful is a different question i mean the government's quite determined not to grant protection to people who arrive by boat um so even if they got protection they can only get a temporary protection visa which is either three or five years and then they have to renew it again and that only applies to people who arrived here by boat. Obviously, this particular family received prominence, um, partly because of the campaign that um, came around them. Um, but they're not the only family in this particular situation. How, I mean, how broad is the problem of temporary asylum seekers in Australia yeah. e- experiencing? Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty massive. Uh, I think there's around thirty thousand people on bridging visas so that's 30,000 people who come here by boat who haven't even been granted protection visas so a lot of those people will be uh, at threat of being deported if their protection asylum claims fail and the process that's been set up to to process them is not very fair either so they created a special process called the fast track process um, specifically for boat people came by boat um, and you they have sort of they established a new appeal authority which has very limited rights of appeal whereas previously there was a refugee review tribunal which they scrapped for boat arrivals so uh, there's there's kind of a institution be created in order to deny as many people as possible permanent protection in Australia who came by boat that's right and um, and of course um, there's been cases before that once people get uh uh, deported back, uh, the Australian government basically says, well, it's not our duty of care mm-hmm. anymore. So yep. they literally um, wash their hands of it. And mm. given that we are near Easter, I could say they do a Pontius Pilate to all those people who understand the uh, analogy and, and wash their hands totally of the ramification of yep. the decision. I'm going to come back to the uh, Easter Pontius Pilate um, analogy. But in relation to these 30,000 people living on bridging visas in Australia, I wanted to get a sense of what life might be like for them. Not, I mean, can kind of get it, but just in terms of rights, in terms of access to Centrelink, access to um, work rights and um, basically how how you eat and pay rent day to day. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not entirely sure uh, about the details, but the government just announced that they were cutting Centrelink benefits to, um, um, yeah, I don't know, perhaps you could, uh, you could <laughs> fill in the details a bit. Um. Well, well, I mean, yes, that is the case. Yeah. It's it's ex- it's an extremely extremely precarious existence, and it effectively means these thirty thousand people are absolutely dependent on charity and on communities. And you know, communities such as yours, Umesh, you know, the the broader Tamil community that absolutely comes around and rallies with 
um, Tamil as, uh, asylum seekers here in Australia providing food, shelter um, and so on. And, and the Tamil community, which in itself, um, many of whom came here as refugees when the laws were um, much more liberal than what they are now, but traumatised migrant communities that are permanent um, residents are now doing all of this work to sustain temporary um comrades that are that are fleeing i mean and that's just the sri lankan community that we yeah. know about no doubt there are similar um mm. frameworks in the iranian community and among iraqis and other and pro- and a, probably a growing syrian um community in, in a, a a similar way they're kind of sorry just gonna no, go, on, go, go just gonna keep yammering yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah? um it does it kind of um leads me to that the, the conversation I wanted to have about religion and Christianity, particularly given there's the Palm Sunday rally tomorrow um, and the Christian charity groups are very much involved in this um, campaign. And actually what I wanted to ask you at the beginning when we talked yeah. off air earlier might be a bit dear because I think I've just convinced myself of the other way. So my question to you was going to be, do you think the involvement of these religious groups in the refugee movement and campaign is conservatising? Does it actually put a lid on how far we can push to see that these laws change? Well, that's a difficult question. Um, I think... I mean, there's an issue with the sort of privatisation of refugee support. Um, So I know a number of countries have created sort of private sponsorship schemes where private charities and other groups can sponsor refugees, and it's sort of shifting the burden from the public sector into the private sector. Um, And that that, that kind of (laughs) um, undermines... Uh, you know, or puts a huge burden on on uh, the community to to uh, help these uh, asylum seekers. And then there's all there's also questions around uh, whether groups are receiving money from the government can be free to speak out about the issues facing asylum seekers. Um, I mean, that's always a, a, a big big issue. And um, I mean, certainly what you've told about the privatisation of, of services. That's uh, that's another big issue. Um, uh, you, you were just saying before off air about the, um, the there are rumours or there's, there's there's talk that the Labor Party mm. said have said possibly that they might increase the number of refugees coming to mm. Australia. How do you think? How yeah. likely do you think that is? And um, you know, is that a good or a, a bad step? Uh, how have they framed it? Um, so. So one of the issues is there's an offshore program where they they Australian government picks and chooses refugees from these third countries and brings them to Australia. But the Refugee Convention, or the idea of the Refugee Convention, is whoever needs protection uh, crosses the border into another country that signed the Refugee Convention should be afforded protection. And all the Western states seem to be... Uh, at the moment, preventing that from happening. One, by stopping plane arrivals um, of people who might likely claim asylum. The other is stopping boats. So people have little chance unless a Western state believes that those refugees uh, will be in some way helpful to the national interest um, of the Australian government. So. So basically, it, it's it's a system of picking and choosing the 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 people who you yeah. think is going to be yeah. and let's say probably economically useful mm-hmm. to to the nation. Yeah, 
It is. I mean, we if we had more time, we could get an update on what's happening in Manus and Nauru, but we don't have time. And, you know, this topic is covered quite extensively on 3CR. So listeners, if you're interested, tune in to some of the other programs, the breakfast programs, the home time programs to find out more about it. Um, but of course, it's really important to um, to uh Mention, <laughs> publicise, that was the word, publicise tomorrow's rally in particular. It is the annual Palm Sunday rally for refugees. Um, it's at two o'clock tomorrow at the State Library. Get there, um, especially in the light of the Batman by-election, which we're also not going to talk about, especially... Just not enough time. <laughs> ...in the context of um, where the refugee movement is at against the attacks by the government. Get there, two o'clock tomorrow at the State Library. That actually does bring us to the end of the show. That's right. And, and if you get there, you can actually meet us. So how's that? That's an, a, a, I think people would prefer top. to meet Umesh. Well, but, you can meet you know. Umesh as well. <laughs> it, was, uh, it would have been great to have more time. Uh, look, we we'll might have to have you back and, and talk about that. I mean, this issue, we've covered it um, before, but like Giselle said... Critically important. And a lot of other programs here on 3CR cover it. So that's really the, all the time that we have uh, for today. Well, thank you very much, um, Umesh. You've been uh, hearing uh, from Umesh Panayagam from the Tamil Refugee Council. So thank you very much. Thanks a lot. And um, and that's all we've got to. So let's get there at the Refugee Rally tomorrow. That's right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next Saturday from 9 o'clock with more news and current affairs from the Asia-Pacific region. Coming up next is Palestine Remembered. But that's all from me, Giselle Hanna. And me, Pierre Morrow. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.